This episode is brought to you by Acorn TV. Acorn TV. And Nick and I realized as we were watching all of the televisions, these are all shows where everybody drives on the other side of the road. I mean, except for like the Canadian things like Murdoch Mysteries. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, left-handed driving. But Murdoch Mysteries, there's still horses. A loophole. Um, so, <laughs> I love a loophole. So speaking of driving left, from New Zealand comes the Brokenwood Mysteries. Let me set the scene. Everybody knows I'm obsessed with New Zealand. Obviously from my love of Lord of the Rings, which everyone knows is a true story that happened in New Zealand. And so this takes place in a fictional town in New Zealand, small town, less than 5,000 people, which is exactly the size of the town I grew up in. And it's like a big city detective comes to the small town and has to work with the small town police force. What a recipe for a fantastic crime drama. And we have the small towns, people are dying left, right, and center. And use code ACORN30 at acorn.tv. Hey there, it's Nick. And it's Leah. So we're doing another live show. Where you raised by wolves live. And this time we're going to be on the West Coast. Portland, Oregon, babies. So come see us on June 15th. And we're going to be at the Siren Theater. And the show starts at 7.30. So go to our website, whereyourraisedbywolves.com slash live and get some tickets. Join us. Do you eat escargot like Vivian Ward? Do you show up late for business trips? Do you leave people hanging with your RSVPs? Were you raised by wolves? Let's find out. Here are things that can make it better when we have to live together. We can all use a little help. Some people don't ask themselves. Were you raised by wolves? Hey everybody, it's Nick Layton. And it's Leah Bonima. And let's just get right down to it with our moose-bouche. Let's get in it. So for today's moose-bouche, I want to talk about escargot. Escargots. So have you ever had escargot? I have not. Now you, of course, remember this very famous scene from Pretty Woman. Yeah, like flicks up in the air. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) She's like, slippery little suckers. And then like the waiter catches it and he's like, happens all the time. So escargot, for anybody who doesn't know, it's basically snails. It's cooked snails. And there's a lot of different ways around the world where it's prepared. But today we're going to talk about the very French way where it's like served in a very special dish and it's served in the shell and all of that. And so you've ordered escargot and you're probably in a restaurant. It would be a pretty bold, aggressive move in a dinner party, but I guess it would happen. (laughs) And so you're at a restaurant and you've decided, I want to have escargot. And so a very hot dish right out of the oven is going to arrive and it's going to be in a special dish that has six little indentations. And inside of each shell is going to be the snail and probably a lot of butter with garlic and parsley. And they're also probably going to bring you a special set of tongs, Mm. which are designed exclusively for this dish. And this is what Julia Roberts had so much trouble with at her fateful dinner. (laughs) And so there's also going to be a special fork that's going to be on the right side that's going to have two tines to it. And it's kind of like a pick. And it's on the right side away from the other forks because there's no corresponding knife that goes with it. That's why it goes on the right side because Mm. you're going to use your right hand with that. And so that's the logic there. And so what you do is you take the tongs with your left hand. And Leah, you're left-handed, so reverse all of this. Okay. But for most right-handers, tongs in the left hand, you're going to pick up the snail in their shell. 
and you're gonna keep it level because you wanna keep all the butter inside of the shell. And then with your right hand, you're gonna take the pick and you're gonna scoop out the snail out of the shell. And it's actually not gonna be too difficult to get out because it is swimming in butter and butter is a pretty good lubricant. So <laughs> it'll come out pretty easily. And so you will remove it from the shell. And if you'd like, you can pour with your tongs in the left hand, a little of the butter over the snail. And then in one bite, like it's an oyster, you're gonna put the whole thing in your mouth and then you're gonna eat the snail. And that's what it is. Does it taste like oysters? People describe it like a cross between fish and chicken with maybe like a little mushroom quality to it. Um, it's worth trying. I mean, if you've never had it, you should absolutely have it. I love anything with butter. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, butter is definitely like the star of the show here. And speaking of butter, there's gonna be a lot of garlic butter left after you're done with all of the snails. And so it is proper and okay to take the shell that will still have snail butter garlicky stuff in it and drink from it. Oh, wow. I mean, that seems like really the main event for me. And then there will also be bread. There will definitely be bread at the table as well. And Miss Manor says, quote, now comes the real conflict of the conscience. As you know, Miss Manners does not approve of sopping up sauces with bread. However, she approves of garlic butter. That is why you see her turning discreetly away from you at the table, and also why you hear her offering to clear the snail dishes from the table. So what she's saying is she takes all the snail dishes into the kitchen and then like licks the plates, I guess. I know. I was like, what is she stealing your butter garlic? I think that's what she's doing. Yeah. Is she eating off of everybody's plates? <laughs> that's what that seems like. Although etiquette doesn't care what you do when you're alone. So if Miss Manners wants to lick everybody's plates, I guess uh, have at it. I mean, there are few things better in this world than garlic and butter. So I was hoping you were going to say... After the snail is gone, you're allowed to take the shell that's full of garlic and butter and put it in your bag and take it home for later. <laughs> okay. Um, that, that is not something that was on my list. Can I just take this? It's like a little butter garlic shot. And then with the bread, if you are going to sop it up, you do have some choices. A little more elegant would be to break out some pieces of bread, put it in the dish, and then use your pick, your fork, to use it as like a little rake and then mop it up that way, as opposed to like dipping bread directly with your fingers. But it's sopping with the garlic butter, yeah, it's a shame to waste it. So you're, you're allowed to eat it in some form, depending on how elegant the meal is happening. Dip it. And Letitia Baldridge, another etiquette guru, she has something to say about the garlic part, which is, quote, anyone planning a love tryst after dinner should either refrain from eating snails or be certain that the other person orders them too. There it is, find your garlic partner. <laughs> Find your garlic partner. Love is. I can't wait to try. I'm going to try these. Yeah, I, it's definitely worth trying. And it's actually not necessarily a fancy dish. I mean, it's certainly served at fancy restaurants, but it's also served in casual places too. I'm going to give it a shot. Butter shot. Butter garlic shot. And we're back. And now it's time to go deep. Deep and all across the country. So for today's question of etiquette, I want to talk about traveling with coworkers. Yes, and I just recently traveled with a coworker who I didn't know previous to the event, and I felt like it actually went very well. So I thought it would be a fun topic to discuss. Okay, so what did you learn on your journey? So the situation was I was doing a gig out of town that was a, a heft of traveling, and the booker said, hey, there's this other woman on the gig. Do you want to be put in touch? I said, yes. So 
this woman and I, having not known each other previously, mm. decided to travel each with each other. And what we did was we immediately sort of divvied up who was in control of what, who was in charge of what. Okay. And we both said, which I was very proud of, and I'm going to throw it to where you raised by wolves. Uh, <laughs> we both up top said sort of what it was that we needed in a traveling situation. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah. Set some expectations. And then it also worked out very nice that both she and I had the same feelings about being on time. Oh, yeah. That's important. Yeah. I said I would rather leave early and have so much extra time. And she's like, oh, I'm that kind of person, too. So, I mean, all of these things were discussed in advance. We discussed are we how we're going to do food between the two of us. Uh, we discussed lodging. And then we also discussed making business calls around the other person. Was that appropriate? Hey, do you mind if I make calls? Which I thought was great. We just talked about it. Boom. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing on my list was the on-time thing. Because I think it's always important to be on time. But certainly in a professional setting, when you're with a coworker, or it even could be a boss, like, you, you can't make people wait for you. No, you can Like, cannot. it's so unprofessional and disrespectful. And so you, you got to be on time. And then just like little things that were nice. Like, if one of us went and got coffee, we would always get coffee for the other person. You know, just like little nice things that you don't have to do. But I thought it made the trip much more amiable. Can I use amiable in that that situation? You know what I mean? Just polite. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to be considerate. Being aware of the other person. Yeah. I think being aware, that's always good. And being mindful that not everybody wants to be with their colleagues 24-7. Yeah. So I think when you are like booking the flights, like don't insist on uh, having seats near them. Like I definitely would maybe want my own seat assignment far away on the plane. Like I'm going to have a whole business trip with you. Like, can I at least have these five hours to myself? So I think you definitely want to be mindful of other people's sort of rhythms. And similarly, like at the end of the workday, there is a tendency to be like, oh, let's grab drinks or dinner together because we're all on this trip together. But like not everybody on the trip is going to want that. Yeah. So kind of like see where people are at with that. Like, oh, do they want to continue hanging out? Or like, does everybody just want to go back to their hotel rooms and like have some alone time? Yeah, I think basically it would be like, I would say, hey, I'm going to go grab some food. Do you want to come? Sure, yeah. The invitation is nice, but like, don't insist. Yeah. And don't be offended if they're like, no, thank you. Yeah, and I think it's very fair. I, you know, I would say like, oh, hey, I need to go do this for 15 minutes to clear my mind. You know, just very straight up and communicative. And I think if you're traveling with a boss, I think it's a slightly different flavor of travel. I can imagine. Like, I feel like you really need to make an effort to probably be even more professional and like not keep your boss waiting. And I can imagine like a scenario where like you're checking your bag and it's too big for the carry-on and now you're gate checking and now your boss is like, what are you doing? So you definitely have to like convey an even higher sense of competence and professionalism like the entire time and like look nice on the plane and like always be on time in the lobby kind of thing. So I think if you're traveling with a boss, like you even have to step it up even harder. Oh, honestly, just be comfortable on the plane. They got to understand that. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think uh, we could debate that. I mean, that's why I don't have a boss. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, being self-employed is really uh, more your vibe. Because I'd be like, look, you know what? I got to wear sweatpants on a plane. I can't be uncomfortable for that long. And then I think it's just important to remember that a colleague is not necessarily a friend. And so you want to just maintain professional boundaries uh, throughout the entire trip, not necessarily get too familiar um, and want to just remember like, oh, this is still like work time. And this is still like an office just happens to not be in the office. It's just moving. It's a moving office. <laughs> so that's traveling with a coworker. <laughs> it 
does seem like it's, I was just so proud of this experience. First time I've traveled with a complete stranger in a long time. And I thought it was yeah. nice to have such a smooth experience. And it was all because we discussed all of the responsibilities and all of the expectations up top. Communication. It makes the world go round. I mean, it really changes the whole game. The whole game. Unbelievable. Now it's time for Intermezzo. Intermezzo. So this episode is brought to you by Acorn TV, which has the best of British, Canadian, New Zealand, like all sorts of great television. And they have tons of different kinds of shows. Oh yeah, all sorts of genres. (laughs) I'm just severely focused on crime, mystery, murder. That's really my sweet spot. And so obviously the Broken Wood (laughs) Mysteries from New Zealand, this is up your alley. Very up my alley because it combines my love of murder mysteries and my love of New Zealand, which was born from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, no, anything said in a seemingly quiet country town where something goes wrong. Yeah, I mean, this is up your alley. Also, they have a big city detective moved to said small town, having to work with the local police and they have a a different way of doing things that everybody finds to be a bit (laughs) jarring. So up my alley. So check that out and use promo code ACORN30 at acorn.tv. And now it's time for Intermezzo. Intermezzo. So this episode is brought to you by Book of the Month. I am loving getting to pick my Books of the Months. Is that the appropriate way to pluralize it? I'm loving getting my books of the month, but for multiple months now. So books of the months. Yeah. Oh, it's so easy to order. It's super convenient. Their selection is wonderful. And this month I picked The Ministry of Time, which sounds wild. It is about a civil servant who's helping to manage some government program where time travelers from other eras like come to help with something. And then they apparently fall in love. What? So like this guy from the 1800s is like, what's Spotify? And then like, you know, love happens. So I cannot wait to receive this. <laughs> you know, love happens. And you out there, you're going to love <laughs> Book of the Month. So you can get your first book for just $5 with code PEDALS. So go to bookofthemonth.com and use code PEDALS to get your first book for just $5. And we're back. And now it's time to take some questions from you all in the wilderness. Ow! So our first question is, quote, my girlfriend and I are fortunate enough to have a hot tub in our new building. This is a first for both of us, and we are both very excited about it. Yesterday, the two of us were in the hot tub, and another man came into the pool area, looked around, and then put his things down and got in next to us. This struck me as a bit odd. I feel like in my experience, which is mostly at hotels, if there are two people already in the hot tub who are having a conversation, I usually consider it taken. This is because if I were to get into the hot tub, I would be listening to their whole conversation, possibly making it uncomfortable. Additionally, I also feel like being in a hot tub with someone is an intimate experience. Usually they're quite small and you are very aware of everyone else's space. Is there etiquette around this? Am I the weird hot tub hog in this scenario? Obviously, I would never tell someone that they can't come in, but I'm curious if there are societal norms here. Up top, I love the phrase hot tub hog. Hot tub hog. Sweet. They're an HTH. (laughs) Sweet. Yeah, I mean, Marin County, where I'm from, we are famous for our hot tubs. But actually, I don't like hot tubs. I don't either. I, I don't like the idea of like sitting in like warm water that sort of been sitting there. We have the things that are similar about us are oddly interesting. Both of us don't like hot tubs. Yeah, that is interesting. We're very similar. 
I'm mm. not getting in one. Yeah, I, I would fall into the I'd rather not category. <laughs> That's exactly what <laughs> I'd rather not. So there is indeed etiquette, you know, because there's etiquette for everything. I mean, we just want to be mindful of other people. You know, that's kind of the baseline. So I guess the question here is, how big is this hot tub? Obviously, it can fit three people. So it's at least a three-personer. I also feel like, I feel like there's two things happening here. I I feel like in other cultures where they do more like baths and mm-hmm. that it's very normal for multiple strangers to get in a hot tub together. Oh, sure. Yes. This is not like Budapest or Finland. Yeah. Right. But it could be somebody from Finland or Budapest who's at the hot tub. Oh, okay. Yes. No, if, if that is what is happening, then okay. We have some cultural differences. I also wouldn't get into a hot tub with strangers, but if I was in a hot tub and a stranger got in, I would have to be like to myself, oh, it's just like uncomfortable they're here, but I, I don't own this hot tub. Yeah. I mean, I do see the intimacy involved in sharing a small puddle of warm water. <laughs> so I get that. And they also, in this letter, call out the idea of overhearing a conversation. And somehow it's about participating in the conversation that is bothering them. Like there's no way to keep that private. I think we completely ignore each other if we're in a hot tub at the same time and we don't, I don't, you know, I would switch my conversation to something That's not intimate. Yes. I think we would definitely need to not do that or do anything that was super uncomfortable for other people listening. Yeah. And then if I was the third person, I don't think I would jump into the conversation. Definitely not. No. You would have to pretend like this is not happening. Yeah. I mean, it's a very American approach of having the fiction that something's not happening. (laughs) Yeah. You know? So it's like, oh, we would just pretend like, oh, we're not like a foot away sharing the same warm water. I was recently in Palm Springs and there was a pool and a hot tub. Mm. and multiple families would get in the hot tub together. Okay. So it was never, there would be two people in there and I would always see another group come and sit in. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a shared hot tub. So you do need to be prepared for it to be shared. And it is more like a quieter experience, I guess. Less talking, more relaxation. I think that's the vibe if somebody's joining you. I would get why you wouldn't want somebody to join you and why it feels I wouldn't get in with other people, but it is a shared space. Yeah, I I wouldn't get in if somebody was already in there. But then you would want to limit your hot tub time to like 20 minutes, 30 minutes max. I think that that's how you would address it. Like everybody gets their time, but like don't hog it. But I wouldn't expect that other people were on the same thought wave as me that we're not sharing. Is there a way to make the hot tub so unappealing that no one would want to get in with you? I mean, what are you going to lay across the whole hot tub? Yeah, I don't know. Or bring something in there with you. Like a sign? Like a sign? <laughs> Closed. Or they could get into the hot tub and you could be like, oh, I you just talked to your friend. I recently had chicken pox. Oh, like feeling like I shouldn't have eaten that third burrito today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like we haven't really come to the basically it, we're saying like, yes, we agree with you. It's uncomfortable, but also it's a shared space. Yeah. So tough it out. Sorry. <laughs> I love it when you come in with a tough love. Yeah. So tough it out. Yeah. Tough it out. Yeah. I mean, well, because what are your options? You can say something like, oh, we just wanted to have private hot tub time right now. Like, okay, you could say that to your neighbor, I guess, but it's not your hot tub. I guess you could say like, oh, we'll be out in 10 minutes before they get in. I don't think you can say that when it's not yours. Yeah. It's also not yours. So sorry. But also we totally get it. We'd rather people didn't get into hot tubs with us. And I would not get in when somebody else was in there. But- I think some people are going to, and there's really nothing to be done about it because it is a shared space. That's it. So our next question is, quote, 
How do you handle friends who leave you hanging with their RSVP until the last minute? I have one particular friend who rarely gives me a straight answer when I invite her to events, such as meals at my house, leaving me hanging until very late when I really need that time to plan and prepare. Her excuses are usually along the lines of, I need to see how many chores I'll have that day. When she invites us to events, I always try and respond quickly with a yes or a no, but her failure to reciprocate is wearing on me. I think we just tell somebody we need to know by a certain day. Yeah, give somebody a deadline. And if that deadline passes, that's your answer. And then I think if they continue to do that, then we don't invite them anymore. Well, I think you can continue to invite them, but just maintain that boundary. Hey, I would love to have you over for dinner on Friday night. Please let me know by the end of the day on Wednesday. And then if they don't get back to you, well, then that's a no. And if they get back to you on Thursday, you'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I needed to know by yesterday, but I'll let you know about the next time. And they'll either never attend one of your events or they'll get the message that like, oh, they need to let you know. Yeah, I think that's perfect. The, um, the oh, I needed to know by Wednesday, I think is my version of not inviting them. Like we don't then change it. We just say, oh, this is a closed situation now. Because you do need to buy groceries and like plan your meal or invite somebody else for that spot who would be delighted to attend. So yeah, you, you can't uh, live a life in which people just don't get back to you. Yeah. And I think that's perfect. Hey, I needed to know by yesterday, but I'll let you know next time because then you're like letting them know, I'll let you know next time. And then that's boom, done. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> yeah. Do that. Yeah. Just do that. Yeah. <laughs> this is a problem though. And let's talk about it from the other perspective. If you do this, don't do this because people need to plan their lives and you are basically hanging them up. And that is rude. I've definitely had situations where I had something that was a pending thing. Sure. And I've said, I will explain the situation and I'll say, I won't know until then. If that's a problem, I don't want to put you out in any way. I could, I would like to be able to make it, but I'm not sure. And if that's a problem you need to know now, I totally understand. So I'll explain it. I'll ask them if that's uncomfortable. And if they would rather, then I'll just say no this time and I'll try next time. Right. And if you're invited to something and you're not sure if you can make it, and they don't give you a deadline because most hosts aren't going to give you a deadline. Like that's not necessary in society because everybody should understand that invitations do require prompt responses. But if you're not sure about your RSVP in the moment, you can ask, when do I need to let you know by? Yeah. And ask for that deadline. I feel like I say that a lot. When do you need to know by? Yeah. And I think that's great because then everybody knows and they give you a deadline, which you have to keep. And if you can make it great and if not, fine. But we can't just have this vague maybe hanging out there. No, especially not. I don't know what kind of chores I'm doing that day. Like, it's obviously not a situation. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Chores? I mean, what is that? This is not pressing. You're either going to schedule your laundry on a different day or not. You know, let me know. Yeah, th this doesn't sound like a medical appointment that can't be moved. Yeah, this is not an emergency sitch. No, this is mopping. <laughs> no, this is mopping. Right? Yeah, it's Swiffer wet. You can do that the next day. <laughs> For real. So our next question is, quote, who has the right of way with a cart at a grocery store? Is it the people in the aisles or is it people on the perimeter? Sometimes when I'm shopping in the perimeter, someone will come out of an aisle with their cart and almost hit me and give me a look like I should have stopped. But it seems the aisles are the side streets and the carts should yield to the main road or the perimeter that surrounds all the aisles. I really want to know who has the right of way so I can do the right thing while grocery shopping. I think I agree with this statement that the aisles are the side streets and the perimeter is the main road. Okay. However, I always yield because I assume that people aren't paying attention and I don't want to get involved in a car crash. Yeah. 
I thought this question was very interesting because is a supermarket a road and is it traffic? Is that the right analogy to be making in the first place? I guess, yes. Well, it, it is a flow. You know, we have people are going down one side of the aisle. You know what you're going, everybody's going down one side of the aisle and there's the other person coming down the other side and you're like, what are you doing right now? Yeah. Oh, I've definitely had plenty of what are you doing right now moments in supermarkets. <laughs> sure. Um, because in general, most of us are moving in the same direction. And I would say that people that are just walking straight along the perimeter are in a much straight path. They're like going from one end to the other. So if you're coming up on the aisle, it feels like you should pause and look. Right. Yeah. I mean, intuitively, that feels correct that the perimeter is more of the main road. And when you are now turning onto the main road, there's a stop sign for you yes. before you get on the main road. Okay. For me, though, I think that you're correct. And I think you can rest in being correct. But know that a lot of these people are lawless. They're lawless. And you're probably going to want to pause because it's, I find not worth getting in an argument about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, the safest thing to do is to treat all intersection as a four-way stop. Or at least there's a yield sign, a four-way yield. Because the only other option is to just smash through their cart and be like, well, I had the right of way. Uh, I mean, if you could land that, yeah, <laughs> I would love to see what happens next. <laughs> Can you imagine? But I do think that that is correct. Yeah, I, I think that is probably correct. One thing I was thinking, though, is, is the rule anytime you're changing directions? Because like when you're coming out of an aisle, you are now going to be making a turn. And so you should always yield before you turn. Like, is that fair? I think that's exactly what it is because your lane is ending. So what happens if you actually are crossing the main road into a new set of aisles? You know, sometimes there's big supermarkets that have a main road in the middle of all the aisles. Well, then I think you still yield. I guess you you do need to yield. Okay. Okay. Just like you would in a road if you were crossing a big road and you were on a side street. Okay. Well, then I guess this was easy then. Yes. The perimeters are the main roads, have the right of way. Aisles, secondary roads should always yield. And also, not to complicate things, but... Oh, let's complicate things. Often, if you're coming out of a side street aisle mm -hmm. and you're coming into the big perimeter lane, mm -hmm. that perimeter lane is going two ways. Okay. So if you're going left, you often have to cross the people who are going in the other direction to then turn your car oh, into the sure. further away one to then make the way down to whatever aisle you want to go next. So you're actually looking for two lanes of people. And that light is so fast. And <laughs> so you can only get one cart in per light and then there's pedestrians in the way. And then there's somebody on a skateboard and a scooter. Yeah. I mean, I think the problem here is that in the real world, there are hypothetically cops who can enforce the traffic rules. And in a supermarket, we're left to our own devices. And we can see what happens when we're left to our own devices to enforce societal norms. But I think that's another way to look at it. People coming out of the aisles actually have two lanes that they're looking. People coming from either side of the perimeter. So they would stop. I mean, unless you're in New York City, aisles uh, are also pretty wide in our two ways. Yeah, but they're not, it's not two different, when they come out, it's not two different lanes that they're crossing because they're only going in one direction. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. I just think the aisles should be pausing. They're probably not because people. Right. <laughs> but I think but you can should. rest comfortably knowing that you are correct. Yes, yes. And I think whenever something like this happens, the correct response is never to blame the other person with a look or a gesture. No, you go, oh, I'm so sorry you didn't know how lanes work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I don't think that was it either, but that's yeah, what I, I think you can think it. in your mind to keep it light. Right. <laughs> so do you have any questions for us? 
Maybe they're complicated. Let us know. You can let us know through our website, wereraisedbywolves.com, or you can leave us a voicemail or send us a text message, 267-CALL-RBW. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now it's time for Intermezzo. Intermezzo. So did you know you can help support our show on Patreon? We have a Patreon. We do. And like there's tons of fun stuff there. There's videos, there's audio clips, all sorts of stuff. I was just thinking about how many videos there must be up there by now. Oh, there's a lot. Oh, there's a lot of bonus content that you have never seen if you do not join us on Patreon. So go to our website, select monthly membership and see if that's something you'd like to do. We'd so appreciate it. We really would. So please check it out. And thank you. Thank you. And we're back. And now it's time to play a game we'd like to call Vent or Repent. Vent or Repent. Which is our opportunity to vent about some bad etiquette experience we've had recently, or we can repent for some etiquette faux pas we've committed. So Leah, would you like to vent or repent? Oh, Nick, I'm gonna, I'm gonna vent. Okay. So what has happened to you? So this is very specific to being... At a comedy show. Okay. So I was at a gig last weekend, and we're going to put it in the, one of the top 10 worst gigs. Oh, okay. For you. I think for everybody involved. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. So this is a thing that I cannot stand. I think it's so rude. It's when people go to comedy shows, and they essentially hold the whole room hostage because they need to constantly comment and they're loud and they make it so other people can't hear and they are interrupting the comments. They're usually inebriated Mm -hmm. and nobody can deal with them because they're so ornery. So basically it's like 90 minutes of dealing with two people who just wanted to make the whole night about themselves. I cannot stand it. I mean, who can? Uh, No one likes this. And you can't like violently lash out at them because it's that's a no win. That's rude. It's just yeah. going to escalate. Yeah. And well, you know, beyond rude, at a certain point, you're going to be rude because they're unbelievably rude for your entire time on stage. It's just that you don't want to escalate it. Yeah. So you're like literally caught. And so is everybody else in the room. It's people who go to comedy shows who sort of need to make it about them. Don't do that. Yeah. I got off stage and I said, I always try to watch other comics out of respect And I said, if I don't have another show to go to, and I said, hey, uh, love you guys. Uh, I got to leave. I can't look at these people in the face on the way out. I'm going to get in a fist fight. And I left. And I guess you weren't alone. I mean, I think everybody was having problems with these people. Oh, they, the next day I saw the other people and they were like, you're so lucky you left. We, they came up to us after the show. They were absolutely horrible. They told us like how to live our lives. I went up to the staff and I said, hey, somebody needs to deal with this situation. Yeah. They're ruining the entire show. And other people can't be happy about this. Nobody else was happy. Everybody else paid. Like the idea that you would think that you're the only person who paid and that the other people in the room don't matter at all or that they in any way want to hear you is unbelievable to me. Well, I mean, sorry that made your top 10. So for me, 
I would also like to vent. Thank goodness. And so I was recently a home in California and I had just landed at SFO, San Francisco International Airport. And I'm waiting to pick up the airporter that takes you to Marin. And if you're familiar with the Marin airporter, it has a big rainbow on it. It's kind of the thing. It's kind of nice. And so I landed and I'm waiting for the bus. And there's another person waiting for the bus who I think has never taken it before. And he wanted to know like how long I had been waiting. And he asked in such an aggressive New York way with a very thick New York accent. And it was like very interesting because it was like, oh, you are not from here. <laughs> it was basically my takeaway. Um, but also interesting is the bus arrived and then the driver came and like takes the luggage to put it in the, the bottom and was so nice and friendly and cheerful that I felt suspicious about it. I was like, what is this attitude? And I think I just realized that like, it takes me a little while when I arrive from New York to kind of recalibrate in terms of like how other people in the world operate. But it was very jarring for me. It was like, why is this person nice and in a good mood and likes their job? What is happening? It was very strange. So we're on the bus and the aggressive person who wanted to know when the bus was leaving was in the seat in front of me. Mm. And he proceeded to have the loudest most obnoxious phone call the entire bus ride. Ah. This is like 45 minutes of bus ride. And I think it's an unspoken rule on the Marine Airporter that you're like not supposed to be on your phone. Like you can text or call a person when you get on the bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, letting you know, I'm on the bridge now. This is my ETA at my stop. Like I think you're allowed to do that, but you are not allowed to have a 45 minute phone call. And it was so bad And the other person was so loud that the bus driver actually got on the intercom and was like, oh, just a reminder, everybody, there's no speakerphones allowed. This guy was not using a speakerphone. It was just loud enough that everyone thought it was a speakerphone. And so after that announcement, the guy obviously thought, well, I'm not on a speakerphone, so that announcement isn't for me. And it's like, nobody, that announcement is for you, and can you please stop? And so in my mind, my internal monologue was, okay, is this a teachable moment for Worry Raised by Wolves? Should I have a polite yet direct conversation with this person and demonstrate how it's done? Or do I just like change seats and go to the back of the bus um, and not deal with it? So I chose to just go to the back of the bus (laughs) and not deal with it. I was like, I don't need to engage with this. I don't need to explain what a polite yet direct conversation is. I will just go elsewhere where I'm not bothered. But how rude. I mean, just a a classic. It's a classic tale of being on your phone when you're not supposed to be. How rude. How rude. So that's the Marine Airporter. Mm. But lovely staff. The the driver could not have been nicer. I think that's so true. When you leave New York and people are in a great mood, you're like, okay, what's going on here? Okay. Yeah. What do you want from me? What is this really about? (laughs) I don't believe this. Yeah. But it's amazing. After uh, about two hours, then I kind of uh, get a little more recalibrated. Yeah. It's when actually I put on like a fleece. Like I don't wear fleece in New York, but I always bring a fleece to California. So it's, I think when I put on the fleece, then it, it, I kind of get into the vibe. You have, the, you need the outfit for the occasion. Yeah. Dress it and soon you will be. Dress it and soon you will be. That's my new favorite. <laughs> What have we learned? I learned uh, how to handle, how to attack mm-hmm. a dish of uh, the old escargots. And I feel like previously I may have been intimidated mm. previous to this episode. And now I feel like I could handle it and I'm excited to try. And I learned that both of us don't care for hot tubs. I mean, the similarities keep coming. It's amazing. 
Well, thank you, Leah. Thank you, Nick. And thanks you out there for listening. I'd send you a handwritten note to my custom stationery if I could. He would. So for your homework this week, I want you to go to our website and I want you to sign up for our newsletter and I want you to click on monthly membership and see if that's something you'd like to do. We would so appreciate it. We would. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. All right, Leah, it's time for Cordials of Kindness, the part of the show that you make us do, but I only give you 30 seconds to do it. Ready, set, go. Okay, this was such a small thing that meant so much to me, and I feel like it's one of those examples how just the simplest of kindness to strangers can turn their whole day around. Oh, I know I'm going over my 30 seconds, but I think it's very emotional. (laughs) I was driving down a road I'd never been in Los Angeles. It was like a Mm three-laner on each side. My GPS usually gives me a heads up which lane I should be in. There was a turn I had to get to, and if I didn't go to this turn, I had to go in the whole other direction. I was in the wrong lane, and... I felt I was late, which, you know, I was probably on time, but not being early is terrifying to me. And I just looked at the man next to me in the in the lane and I was like, I, I mouthed, I got to get over. I was like <laughs> at my end. It was like one of those days. And he was like this huge truck. He just like smiled and waved and he was like, get in, get in. And Aww. waited until the traffic moved to let me all the way in. And just like we both waved and it was so lovely and just... Then the rest of my day was like so much nicer. And I was just like, thank you. Well, isn't that nice? It was so nice. And for me, we got a lovely review, which is this. And the title is, It Scratches an Itch I Didn't Know I Had. And they write, This show is the perfect combination of humor, information, and secondhand voyeurism. Who doesn't love hearing about other people's social drama? I love it. I didn't think I'd love a show about manners and etiquette, but it's honestly so interesting and entertaining that I'm truly addicted. I wish I could attend a dinner party with Nick and Leah. That is so sweet. I mean, we should have a dinner party, Leah. We should have a dinner party. I think that's a really fun idea. Maybe for the holidays, we could have a huge dinner party. Okay. I mean, I'll get the place cards ready. Let us know what location you think we should have it in, listeners. (laughs) Oh, gosh. It's going to be a big dinner party. I'll just be there to have food on my shirt. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. This is very nice. So nice. This episode is brought to you by Acorn TV. Acorn TV. And Nick and I realized as we were watching all of the televisions, these are all shows where everybody drives on the other side of the road. I mean, except for like the Canadian things like Murdoch Mysteries. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, left-handed driving. But Murdoch Mysteries, there's still horses. A loophole. Um, so, <laughs> I love a loophole. So speaking of driving left, from New Zealand comes the Brokenwood Mysteries. Let me set the scene. Everybody knows I'm obsessed with New Zealand. Obviously from my love of Lord of the Rings, which everyone knows is a true story that happened in New Zealand. And so this takes place in a fictional town in New Zealand, small town, less than 5,000 people, which is exactly the size of the town I grew up in. And it's like a big city detective comes to the small town and has to work with the small town police force. What a recipe for a fantastic crime drama. And we have the small towns, people are dying left, right, and center. And use code ACORN30 at acorn.tv.
This episode is brought to you by Acorn TV. Acorn TV. And Nick and I realized as we were watching all of the televisions, these are all shows where everybody drives on the other side of the road. I mean, except for like the Canadian things like Murdoch Mysteries. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, left-handed driving. But Murdoch Mysteries, there's still horses. A loophole. Um, so, <laughs> I love a loophole. So speaking of driving left, from New Zealand comes the Brokenwood Mysteries. Let me set the scene. Everybody knows I'm obsessed with New Zealand. Obviously from my love of Lord of the Rings, which everyone knows is a true story that happened in New Zealand. And so this takes place in a fictional town in New Zealand, small town, less than 5,000 people, which is exactly the size of the town I grew up in. And it's like a big city detective comes to the small town and has to work with the small town police force. What a recipe for a fantastic crime drama. And we have the small towns, people are dying left, right, and center. And use code ACORN30 at acorn.tv.